Everyone else, let's turn to Hebrews. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. As you're turning there, just for those who follow such things, we've been in Hebrews for several months now, and uh, we're going to pause after this week to, um, to take a few weeks and look at some of the Psalms uh, during the Advent season, and then we'll pick up again on Hebrews in, uh, in the new year. But this morning, we are looking at Hebrews chapter 5, verses, uh, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, in one of the apartments I lived in before my married days, when I was overseas, I lived high up in an apartment building, uh, 28, 29 stories up, and uh, could see a, a huge swath of the cityscape laid out for me, a city of 20-some million people. And right across the street from where I lived was a very, very large section of like a city block that had been completely paved over with a solid cement foundation. And there was a sign outside. Once you got down to city level, there's a big sign saying, coming soon, you know, such and such uh, shopping mall. And I eagerly waited that shopping mall until the sign was taken down and it a new one came up, coming soon, you know, such and such apartment complex. Okay. But not long after that sign came down, and then another one replaced it, coming soon, such and such entertainment center. And years and years went by, and nothing was ever built on that concrete slab. And it became to me a, a sign or symbol of, of wasted potential and unfulfilled promise. And many people who are attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ and who populate the visible church on Sunday morning can be something very similar. A foundation with no structure built on top. A beginning with no follow through or a child who never ages and leaves the home. These verses are the ones uh, and the ones that we're going to look at when we come back to this where a form a, a parenthesis in the middle of the argument that the author of Hebrews is making, as he's, as he's writing this letter to encourage and to warn a, a group of Christians who, under persecution, are tempted to abandon their faith in Christ and go back to what was familiar and culturally acceptable and required less effort and, and would cause less problems in their life. And he's been writing, and we see week after week how he's putting forth Jesus as this great, greater than anything else, why would you trust or look to anything else when Jesus is greater? And then he, he comes to this, this point where he needs to pause and explain some things before he moves on. And that's where we're at right now. A warning in the middle of a parenthesis 
Uh, and what's got into this is what we saw last week, the last two verses we looked at last week were in Hebrews 5, 9, and 10. He said, being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And when I read that last week, I could tell some of your faces, as some now, are, who? Who is, who is Melchizedek? And that's what the author of Hebrews expects as he's speaking to, to believers who have not thought deeply or operated deeply in their faith, who've not gone beyond the milk. He expects that their hearers might not be ready to understand what he's going to say about that because it's not entry-level stuff. It's not cross-stitch verses that we put on our pillowcases and our walls. It's not the, the Bible verses we all have memorized. It's, it's something more profound, something deeper, something more challenging. And he thinks they might not be ready, so he pauses to warn them that if as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, they are coasting, then there's only one direction you can go if you're coasting, and that's downhill. If they're not growing in their faith, then there's a danger about which he needs to warn them. So how do we today recognize that danger in ourselves and more importantly, what do we do to make sure that it doesn't apply to us? And that's what we're going to see in these verses this morning, that God calls all of his children to grow on to maturity, to build on that foundation that he has given them in Christ as they live out that gospel of their salvation. And in this warning, we see some idea of direction for how to go about building a mature faith. The first thing we see in regard to building a mature faith is that we need to build with the right goal. Build with the right goal. The author of Hebrews begins with a rebuke in these verses. Verse 12, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's saying that his hearers have not made the progress that they should. Now, it's one thing to criticize somebody's progress in a negative way, in an inappropriate way, in an uh, overly condemning way, as if a, uh, a coach seeing her, her runners going around the track goes up to the slowest of them and says, you're so slow. You know, that, that's not appropriate criticism. But that's not what's happening here. This, imagine instead if that coach called her runners to go out and run uh, 40 laps around the track. And after the first lap, a few of them say, oh, well, we're done, we finished. And they go and sit down on the bench. And the coach sees the other teams racing around and she runs to her runners and says, no, don't stop yet. You're not done yet. You haven't finished yet. There's more to do. That, that's the heart that's behind this. The author is saying, you have a goal. You have a purpose. Believing in Jesus is not the starting point of the Christian life. It's... It's, I'm sorry, it is the starting point. It's like, why didn't that sound right? Believing in Jesus is, is not the finish line of the Christian life. Coming to faith and saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. That's not the finish line. That's not, we're trying to get everybody there and then we're done. Believing in Jesus is the starting point. It's where we start from and then we move on. We move on towards the goal. Now, what is what is the goal that we're working towards? In verse chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Maturity is the goal. 
And he's worried his audience isn't ready for that yet. And so in verses 12 and 13, he says, you need milk, not solid food. Because everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's describing them as someone who's never gone beyond milk. An image used often in scripture is that new believers need milk. The basic foundational teachings of the gospel and of scripture are that milk that we need. We need that. It's a good thing. And a new believer in Jesus, someone who has just started following him, is like a baby that needs that milk. They need that early teaching or they need the foundation. They need the beginning stuff. They're not yet ready to handle some of the more complex ideas, some of the harder teachings that are hard to accept. The new believer isn't ready to have everything thrown at them all at once, isn't ready to be told all the things that they need to do, isn't ready to obey in every way they're called to obey. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just like there's nothing wrong with a baby not being ready for a steak. Its its constitution isn't ready for it. Its body isn't ready for it. It hasn't grown to that point yet. But if five years later, ten years later, 20 years later, nothing has changed. Then there's a problem. Then that's not healthy. And so the situation the author of Hebrews is addressing is these believers who, though they have been in the faith for a while and should be growing and progressing and maturing, they're not. He's worried they may have stalled. They're like the 30-year-old son living in mom and dad's basement playing video games all day. That's not healthy. It's not good for him. It's not what he was made for. But aren't we supposed to have the faith of a child? You might wonder. I mean, didn't Jesus, and he did, say that unless you have the faith, become like a child, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's true. But there's a difference between being childlike and being childish. Jesus called us to imitate a child's trust and humility. The way a child receives God's love, not counting on what they do. The the humility of a child, not the immaturity of a child. So to be mature, according to verse 12, the author of Hebrews says, you ought to be teachers at this point. The opposite, in verse 13, he says, is to be unskilled in the word of righteousness. It's important, as you read that, to recognize he's not talking strictly to pastors or to elders or seminary students, or theologians, or scholars, or leaders. He's talking to all of us, everyone, believers. Believer, you ought to be able to handle God's word skillfully. Believer, you ought to be able to to explain and demonstrate and understand passages of Scripture. Kids, you too. This is not just a grown-up thing. This is as much as you have heard God's word, you should be learning it and learning how to explain what it means to others. We ought to be teachers. We ought to be skilled in the word of righteousness. Don't stop at the milk of the gospel. It is enough that Jesus died for you and rose again. Yes. And believing that is enough to save anyone. Believing means that we are born again, but Once born, it is expected that we would grow, that we would move on to maturity. 
And so we work with that goal in mind. We build with that goal in mind that we would become mature. And that's not an option. That's not, hey, that's cool if you're really into this Jesus thing, but I kind of just, you know, I want to believe in Jesus and do other things. Jesus warns us, Jesus himself, in John 15, warns. He says, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and that's another image for maturity and growth. Every branch that does not bear fruit, God takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We are saved with a purpose in mind. And attaining that, moving towards that purpose is not optional. If we are not bearing fruit, the warning is that we will be cut off. We are saved to to live out the life that God designs for us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this question. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? What is your design all about? Why do you exist? What's the meaning of life? It is this. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now many might think that the Christian life is heavy on the enjoy Him forever part. It's I get to go to heaven when I die. That's why I'm a Christian. That's the whole purpose of why Jesus died for me. Well, that's one purpose, is to enjoy salvation. But another, and I would argue related, strongly related purpose, is to glorify God. Are we building our lives in such a way as to glorify God? And we've talked before how that word glorify, to glorify God means to to show God's goodness, to show what God is like in all his goodness. That's our purpose. That's what you build towards. That's why you were saved. I want to read a longer passage from Titus chapter 2 that goes into this. Uh, Follow along here. Paul begins saying that the grace of God has appeared. This is Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, what does that salvation look like? What does the grace of God do? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's what the grace of God does. That's what salvation looks like. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Why? Why did Jesus die for us? To redeem us from what? Just from hell? To redeem us from the consequences of our sin? To redeem us from lawlessness? And to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Why did God save you? Why did you receive the gospel? What's the point? The point is that you would live a life zealous for good works, helping to live out the gospel, to create and design and reshape the world in the the original intention that God... So examine your life. Is it lived with that goal in mind? The goal of bringing glory to God, showing His goodness by growing in maturity by renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions, by being redeemed from lawlessness, by being a people zealous for goodness and good works, not content to stay where you are, just idling, waiting, drinking milk, staying in the basement, playing video games, waiting until Jesus comes back. That's not the Christian life. That is a low calling. 
And that's not what God made you for. Build with the right goal in mind, the goal of maturity. But the author of Hebrews goes on next to tell us how we do that. How do we become mature? We have to build in the right way. We build with the right goal and then we build in the right way. Verse 14, he says, solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, churches in the history of the Reformed tradition, which this church is in the Reformed theology tradition, we have an unfortunate reputation. It is said by many that we believe there is no problem in the church or in the Christian life that cannot be solved by a good sermon or a good book. We have a reputation as readers, as thinkers, as intellects, as those who study. And that, you know, that, that can be a good thing, except when taken to a fault. And the danger is that we would equate knowledge with maturity. That if I'm going to become mature, then I just have to learn more. And that those who know the most and learn the most are therefore the most mature. Have you ever got that impression? Have you ever thought that yourself? Have you ever thought that of another? Well, he knows so much, he must be mature. Oh, well, well I, she can't be a mature believer. She, she barely knows her Bible. In fact, that's the mistake that the author of Hebrews is trying to address. You know, knowledge leads to maturity, but, and ignorance does lead to immaturity, but Knowledge itself is not what makes us mature. And so in verse 11, the author of Hebrews says, We have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. Not something you ever want your pastor saying to you. you know, if you ever go into church and it just says Hebrews 5.11 right here, walk away. The problem wasn't that the Hebrew Christians didn't have access to truth. And the problem wasn't that they weren't hearing enough information or receiving enough. The problem is, what were they doing with what they knew? What were they doing with what they heard? Were they applying it? No, he says, you've become dull of hearing, which means lazy listeners is kind of the, the way I would translate that. you become lazy listeners. You're hearing this and you're not doing anything about it. They're hearing, reading, studying, learning, knowing, memorizing, quoting God's word, but it's not being put into action in their lives. This is what James warns about in James 1. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Ooh, those last two words, those... We can deceive ourselves because we think if we know enough Bible... If we know our catechism, if we know enough theology, if we know the right things and we hear it and we learn it and we can recite it and we deceive ourselves. I get this often as a pastor, people who, in their, uh, who want to make sure that I know how much they know. And they will quote theologians. They will quote scripture. They will have theological arguments. They will use language that makes it clear that they know the jargon of, 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 of good theology. And, you know, in the words of, was it Shania Twain? That don't impress me much. Because, because I want to see how it looks in your life. I have known too many people 
who know the right things, who say the right things, who believe the right things, and don't live the right things. And I have been one of those people. And it deceives you. Because knowledge is not what makes you mature. That's not how you build. You can quote verse and chapter, spout catechism, creed, and doctrine, and still be an infant drinking milk. Knowing what the Bible says does not make you a mature Christian. Knowing, just knowing what the Bible says does not make you a mature Christian. You must be doing what the Bible says. Listen to this uh, from Matthew 28 as Jesus is sending out his disciples, the Great Commission. Does this sound familiar? Go therefore and make converts of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. That's not, some of you have heard me do this before. I was not quoting Matthew 28 there. I was quoting an amended version. Because Jesus didn't say, go and make converts of the nations. Jesus didn't say, go and just teach them what I've said. Teach them information. No, look at what Jesus actually said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The goal, the, the, the purpose of the church is to make disciples. And that's people who follow Jesus by living according to his commands. Our goal is not to make converts. That's not the extent of our goal. We're not just trying to get more people to raise their hand and choose Jesus. We're not trying to get more people to check that Christian box on the census in 10 years. We're not trying to get people who just say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. We're trying to make disciples, people who follow Jesus by living according to his commands, teaching them not just what he has said, but teaching them to do what he has said. And structuring our, our church and our Christian life in how we can encourage one another, not just to learn more about Jesus, but to do something about it. And that gets messy. That gets so messy. I mean, the, think of the disciples. Read the Gospels with, with a view to, to see what the disciples were like as they're learning to follow Jesus. Watch them mess up. Watch James and John, the sons of Zebedee, hear about Jesus uh, blessing others, loving others, forgive your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And they go up to a town and the town says, no, you guys can't stay here for the night. And watch James and John say, can we call down fire from heaven? Please, Jesus, can we roast them for being mean to us? They missed the point. Discipleship is messy. You might hear and learn and know, but you've got to learn how to practice it and sometimes mess up and be in a community of people who are helping you learn how to recover from your mistakes, how to, how to act differently, how to respond differently next time, who can model what appropriate behavior is like. That's discipleship, and it's a messy, long, difficult process filled with mistakes. And many of our churches, the way that we, we struggle is we, we just want to, to front load all the knowledge. And so we have a lot of knowledge-based stuff. And, and the assumption, and I was reading this from another pastor writing about kind of his church and how they've tried to struggle with this issue. He says, so many churches, we come with this assumption that if, if we can, if we as Christians can fill our minds up with enough scripture, and if we can know all the right things, then what's going to happen is that knowledge is just going to overflow into obedience. 
And we will be eager to go engage in ministry. We will be excited to go share the gospel with people. We will be excited to help the homeless and lift up the needy and welcome the stranger if we just have enough knowledge. And if we're not doing it, then we diagnose it by saying, well, we haven't fed our people enough knowledge. And he says, from my, this, this pastor I was reading talking about this said, my own experience is that if I eat a, a huge feast, I'm not very inspired to go to the gym and exercise after that. Feeding me doesn't make me want to do active things. He says, however, when I go to the gym and exercise and get busy and do and do, I come away hungry. He says, what we need to be doing in the body of Christ is not filling up our heads until it overflows in obedience, but we need to be encouraging one another out towards action, towards obedience, towards ministry, towards service. And as that happens, what's going to happen is we're going to encounter situations that we don't know what to do. And we're going to come back and say, feed me in God's word. Show me. Show me what God's word says about this. We're going to be sharing the gospel with somebody and they're going to make a fool of us with their arguments. And we're not going to know how to answer. And we're going to come back and we're going to say, show me what God's word says. Now I'm ready to hear and to not be dull of hearing, not be a lazy listener. But as verse 14 says, solid food is for the mature, those who have their power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It takes constant practice. How confident would you feel in a professional sports team that got together once a month to run through a few plays and to practice. Would you feel very confident in their chances in the next game? No, some of you think your team, that's probably about how often they practice by how well they play. No, it, it showing up among God's people, I'm being very real here, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not saying this to offend, I'm saying this to, to warn. Showing up among God's people once a month not immersing yourself in the body of Christ, not practicing your faith in the context with other people, is that going to lead you to maturity and what God designs for you? It is not. I warn you, it is not. Growth in the Christian life is not just knowing more information than we did before. It's acting, doing, practicing, what it is we're learning. And as we act, do, practice, live, we will come back ready to learn more and to learn in a way that actually makes a difference. My friends, we need to build with the right goal in mind and we need to build in the right way. But in the midst of it all, we must ensure that we build on the right foundation. The author of Hebrews reminds us here that we don't grow beyond the gospel. We never outgrow the gospel. And so he switches up the illustration from growing and milk and maturity and solid food to the building imagery that I was using here before. From chapter 6, verse 1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. These things that the Hebrew Christians are, are struggling to move past, the milk that they're living on instead of the solid food, they are a good thing. They are good things. They're the solid foundation of the gospel. 
the foundation we build on as we grow. Let's be clear, milk is not a bad thing. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2. He says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. We should desire the milk, the gospel, the essentials, not so that we can stay there and live off of that, but so that by it you may grow up, Peter said. It's the, the basics of the gospel message that serves as the foundation of everything that comes after. A foundation is that solid part of the building that holds everything up. And, and for the Christian, our foundation is the gospel. So when the author says in chapter 6, verse 1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, he's not saying let's forget about the basics. Let's forget about the gospel and move on to the good stuff, the harder stuff, the stuff that spell check says isn't even a word when you type it in. You know, let's move on to the really good stuff. Let's leave the gospel. No, he's not saying that. He's saying the foundation is there. It's laid. It's solid. Let's not spend more time laying the foundation. Now let's build on it. But as with any building, once you begin construction, you don't lay a foundation here and then start building over here. You build on top of that foundation. Everything depends on it. And everything that we learn and everything that we grow in and build on in our faith depends on the one foundation of the gospel. So in verse, uh, verse 1, he calls it the elementary doctrine of Christ. Literally, that's first teachings. The first teachings about Christ. Let's move away from the first teachings and move on to what comes after that. Let's build on top of that. For the Hebrew Christians, the, those basics were things like repentance from dead works and faith towards God. The fact that the things they did, their morality, their obedience, their sacrifices, their Sabbath observance, their diet, whatever it was, was, was dead works as far as uh, salvation goes. It's faith towards God that they needed. It's instructions about washings and layings on of hands. That word washings is literally baptisms. Instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands by which you were brought into the church and the Holy Spirit was communicated by the apostles. Let's leave that behind. That's being brought into the church, repenting of your dead works, faith in God, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These things are good, but we need to build on them. We need to see what they lead us to. What is the structure that is intended to be built on top of that? For us today, we would say it's much the same. The basics, the milk, the essentials, the foundation of the gospel is that we are made right with God, not by anything we do, but by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that God gives us salvation by grace, not by what we earn. And that when we believe it, we inevitably will live differently according to God's word, and that our hope in this life and in the life to come is that God will bring his kingdom and make all things new and that we will dwell with him forever. That, that's our hope. That's the, that's the milk. I want you to be secure in that, but I don't want you to stop there. That's not all there is to the Christian life. By it, we grow up into salvation. We build on that, but we never leave that behind. That has to be under our feet at all times. And so always, consistently, diligently, we work to ensure that we're building on the right foundation. Whatever doctrine we believe, we ask, is this consistent with the gospel? 
is consistent with the belief that I'm a child of God because of what Christ did for me. Whatever choice we're called to make in our daily life, we view it through that lens. Which choice, which action is in harmony with with God's abundant grace towards me? The way we speak to one another and the way we speak to those outside the church, the way we spend our money and our time, the way we choose our friends, the way we parent our children, the way we love our neighbor. We don't take our cues on those things from the world around us, the way they behave, the way they value, the things they condemn. No, we build on a different foundation. We build on the gospel. What does the gospel mean? Let me build on that. Anything that even pretends in the Christian church to look or act like maturity. Anything that calls itself maturity, but was, which is out of harmony with the gospel of grace, might not be maturity at all. Sure, it might have a lot of knowledge. Sure, it might express itself with the right language, the right jargon, the right terms. It might claim the authority of important teachers or traditions, but none of those things is the foundation My friends, I urge you to grow in the gospel, to grow in your faith, to move on to maturity. But do not think that as you do, you outgrow the gospel. You are ever always standing on that and you need the grace of God just as much on the 100th year of your walk as you do on the first day. Now, let me close with this little bit of good news. This little bit of building on the foundation of the gospel in order to move you on to maturity, as I hope. There's this phrase that closes our passage today in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, let us move on to maturity, and this we will do if God permits. Now that that may sound like a bit of throwaway religious jargon, the way some of us do. Lord willing. Well, I see you next week. Well, Lord willing. I'm not mocking that. I do that. I want us to be sincere as we say that. You know, for many of us, it's just a habitual way of talking about the future. Well, Lord willing, I don't know what's going to happen. Lord willing, I'll see you. Lord willing, this will be the case. That's not what this verse is doing. He says, this we'll do if God permits. Lord willing, we'll move on to another topic. No, there is a reminder here that your growth, your maturity, your building on the foundation of the gospel is not up to you. And thank God for that. I love the kids. I hope they're watching at home and understand that I love them very, very much. But if their growth was left up to them, if their choosing of the right foods to eat, if they're going to bed at a reasonable hour, if they're brushing their teeth correctly, if they're wearing of a helmet, if they're not starting a fire, if they're not climbing up a ladder and going on the roof just because the ladder's there, if, if all that was left just up to them, I don't have a great deal of confidence that they would move on to maturity. And the same is true of your growth in Christ. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You could go away from here thinking the preacher has said that I need to work harder, I need to get out there and do more. Do, 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 do more. And if I don't, I will not grow. 
You can be as diligent as you want, but if the Lord is not building the house, you labor in vain. And that is not meant to be discouraging. That should be encouraging because of this. In Philippians 1, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He who began a good work in you, Christian. Who began that work? Did you begin the good work of the gospel in your own life? No, you did not. God called you. God gave you His Spirit. God saved you. God converted you. And He who began that good work will complete it. He will bring it to completion. We will move on to maturity if God permits If God permits us to move on to maturity, that is not just permission. That is guarantee. It is going to happen. He will use your choices. He will use your good choices and your bad choices. He will use your circumstances, joyful ones and painful ones. He will use your effort and your lack of effort. He will use you, but he will do it. If God permits, you will move on to maturity. Living out the gospel, building on that foundation to bring glory to the one who made you for a greater purpose than you or I will ever understand in this life. So as we close with this song, I want you to consider the lyrics that we're about to sing. Hear the call of the kingdom, but do not be a lazy hearer. As you hear, respond. Respond with obedience. Respond with joyful living out. Respond with constant practice. Hear the call of king, the kingdom, but answer the call because God permits. He who called you is faithful and he will do it. Let us pray in that confidence today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your work in us, begun in Christ, carried through by your Holy Spirit for the glory of of God alone. I pray that we would be faithful, faithful to constantly practice what it is we hear, faithful to live out your gospel, faithful to move away from milk and into solid food, but in all these things, knowing that we have never left the gospel of your grace that works in us from beginning to end until you bring it to completion. We thank you for that hope in the name of Jesus. Amen.